In your Bibles this morning, congregation, we would invite you to turn to Matthew 28. We'll be reading this morning from verses 1 through 10, anticipating this evening, continuing looking at this chapter uh, by reading and preaching on verses 11 through 15. Now this morning, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10 in your pew Bible, you can find that on page 1150. As we turn there, we remind ourselves that we have here the inspired Word of God, Uh, so that Matthew wrote as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Therefore, we have an infallible and an inerrant record uh, of the historical event of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we read together uh, Matthew 28, beginning at verse 1, continuing through verse 10. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay." And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Thus far this morning, our reading from the Word of God. Our congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, it is our wonderful opportunity this morning to proclaim to you through the preaching of the Word that Christ is risen, that Christ is risen indeed. Uh, to proclaim that to you, and then also to give you, as we give ourselves, the exhortation to praise the name of the Lord for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we have, we have sung hallelujah. Boys and girls, hallelujah is a beautiful word. It just simply means let us praise Jehovah or let us praise Yahweh, let us praise the Lord. And indeed, hallelujah, congregation. Let us praise the Lord for the great work that he has done in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because, of course, Jesus Christ must be at the center of who we are and of what we are about, but you might even narrow uh, the focus even more and say, uh, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ must be especially at the center of what we as Christians are and what we as a Christian congregation are about. You don't have to live very long in this world to understand that there are many trials, many afflictions, many difficulties, maybe even, you might say, many doubts and many fears. Uh, You can turn on the news, or if you still uh, receive a printed newspaper, uh, you can read the articles and you can be confronted, maybe even, you might say, bombarded, Uh, with devastating news, news of death, uh, news of war, 
And in our own personal lives, uh, you might be confronted with the realities of illness and of disease, of an unfavorable diagnosis received from the doctor. Uh, We might even look into the state of the church, and we might bemoan the state of the church. Uh, We might bemoan the state of the church if we look uh, at her uh, universally or internationally. We might look into Europe and say, well, the church seems to be nearly non-existent compared to a former day. Uh, We might come closer to home and say within our own nation, and perhaps even within denominations, we might say, well, look at the decline. Maybe we even look at our own church and say, ah, I remember a more favorable day. It's especially in light of all of that negativity that we often need to hear the exhortation, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Rejoice and praise the Lord, for He has done great things. He has done great things, especially in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Imagine just for a moment the experience that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary uh, have encountered over the past few days prior to the reading of Matthew 28. They were faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, having been powerfully impacted uh, by His redemptive work having been redeemed from a life of uh, doubt and despair. Uh, They had followed Jesus Christ to the cross, and they had been eyewitnesses of the crucifixion. They had heard those seven words uh, spoken from the cross, including that triumphant word, it is finished, and Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. They had seen the body of the Lord Jesus Christ taken down from the cross, and they had followed it even to the tomb where it was laid. No doubt their emotions would have been a roller coaster over the last few days. And now early on the first day of the week, they come to the tomb. They come to anoint the body. They come to be surprised, to be confronted with the reality that he is not here, he is risen. And so let us join them this morning and come through the Scriptures to see the place where he lay. Looking at our theme, the resurrection of Jesus Christ noticing, first of all, the revelation of the resurrection, and then secondly, the explanation of the resurrection, and then thirdly, the reaction to the resurrection. So we have before us this morning, Matthew 28, 1 through 10, underneath this theme, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the revelation, the explanation, and the reaction uh, to the resurrection. Uh, First of all, consider with me this morning the revelation of the resurrection. By revelation, uh, the act of revealing or the act of uh, declaring or making known the resurrection. We want to consider the necessity of this revelation and also the fact that this is a heavenly revelation. This is the most crucial point, congregation. How do we know Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And I say this perhaps especially for young people in college and university students. How do we know beyond any shadow of any doubt that Jesus Christ is risen? Risen indeed. We know based upon the revelation that God gives us within His Word because general revelation, and by general revelation we mean that which all men, all members of the human race perceive, Uh, the rising of the sun, the setting of the sun, the passing of the seasons, 
Uh, all of these elements of uh, creation and of nature, they are letters, you might say. They are books, and they testify uh, of the divine power of the Godhead. And, and we are given minds being created in the image of God, and the opportunity and the responsibility to study creation and to study the created realm and to dig into the glory of God that is revealed within the created realm. But here's the point. Uh, general revelation and man's scientific activities will never be able to come to a sure and a certain knowledge about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ because the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, as so many elements of the Christian faith, is a supernatural act of God. And so there must be a greater revelation. God himself must reveal what has happened in the revelation. And so often you'll hear perhaps higher critics, liberal scholars, university professors, even in liberal seminaries, and they'll question the reality of the resurrection, and we'll consider more of that this evening. And the great danger is, is that we try to come up with certain rationalistic proofs for the resurrection. But what we really need, congregation, is to just simply come to the inspired Word of God, Matthew 28, and to read there, especially what is told us in verse 1 through 4. An angel comes. Now, the other gospel narratives, and there's not a, there's not a real contradiction. The other uh, accounts of the gospels uh, speak of uh, a number of angels. But the point here is simply this, that this revelation comes from heaven itself. And when heaven speaks, earth and all of those who are on earth ought to listen and must listen. And notice that there is the display of heavenly glory and majesty in verse 2 and in verse 3. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance, that is, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. Now, certainly uh, the angels, those created spiritual beings who do not have bodies like, like men but are not God. Angels are not God. Angels do not possess the divine nature. But the angels who have not fallen, the angels who did not follow Satan in the, the rebellion, uh, they are in the immediate presence of Almighty God, and, and therefore they, they radiate, you might say, the glory of our great God. And as the angel of the Lord here is dispatched, you might say, from the heavenly throne room to come and to bring a message from heaven to earth, his very appearance testifies of the greatness and of the glory and of the majesty of our God. And beholding something of this countenance as it reflects the majesty of our God, who then are we to question whether God can accomplish that which is supernatural? To say it this way, how dare we look upon this angel who is a, a faint reflection of the glory of the Lord and say, I don't think God could have done that. 
No, our proper response should be to bow in humility and say, Behold the great things that our God has done. And so this angel of the Lord rolls back the stone from the door. Now, boys and girls, don't think that the angel had to roll back the stone to let Jesus out. The angel rolls back the stone so that Mary can look in. The stone was not rolled back so Jesus could get out. Jesus could have annihilated that stone. He could have just spoken, stone no longer exists, and the stone would have been gone. He could have moved right through that stone. Now the angel comes and displays something of heavenly glory and rolls back the stone so that trembling disciples and trembling followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who have had their faith shaken to the very core by the crucifixion of Christ can come and can look and can see that the grave is empty. And he sat on it. The, the stone that was supposed to seal definitively the end of Jesus Christ according to the Romans and according to the Pharisees is not only ruled out of the way, but is also made into a resting place for the angel of the Lord, symbolizing this victory that has been accomplished. Victory over death. And over the grave, because the grave must always be viewed in connection uh, with death and with connection uh, to sin. That was the curse that was pronounced by God upon Adam and also upon Eve. From dust you have come and from dust you will return. You were formed out of the earth and because of sin you will return to the earth. But thanks be to God that we have the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ and that death is now made into a sitting bench for the angel of the Lord. And so there is this heavenly revelation, the rolling back of the stone, displaying the emptiness of the tomb based upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one main point of application before we transition into our second point, people of God, our, our faith, must rest upon the heavenly revelation that we have received concerning what our God has done in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we learn in our Heidelberg Catechism that faith includes a certain knowledge uh, and also a trust. That, that, knowledge, that knowledge is not based in this connection upon what science can tell us or what general revelation can tell us, but our certain knowledge about the resurrection is based entirely upon the testimony of the Word of God. And so let the scoffers scoff, and let the experts come up with their various explanations. As for the Christian, we believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, because we join an innumerable multitude of those who have gone before who open up their Bibles and look into the account of the gospel and say, Behold, let us praise Jehovah. Let us praise the Lord. Because Christ is risen, He is risen indeed. But the angel also gives a word of explanation. And we transition to that in our second point, looking more closely at verse 5 and 6. Uh, there, there's a need for explanation because the women do not understand immediately what has happened. 
for a variety of reasons, in part because, yes, they have true faith, but their faith is not perfect. Uh, There are many questions, there are many doubts, and so the angel condescends, being a messenger of the Lord to them. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Well, that much is clear. But this last part is the most remarkable statement, for he is risen, as he said. This is a comforting and an informative explanation comforting. The angel says to these women, who no doubt over the past few days had been filled with all sorts of fears, fears upon perhaps uh, that the Romans or the Sanhedrin would continue their evil plot, not only against Christ, but having removed him according to their thoughts. Maybe the women thought, they'll come after us. Uh, they'll, They'll try to deal with all of the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and you have to understand also for these two Marys, Jesus Christ and his redemptive work was the center of all that they hoped in and all that they longed for. And now he, to their understanding, had been crucified and was dead. Their whole world had been turned upside down. Uh, they didn't know what to do other than to come to the tomb uh, and to anoint what they anticipated would be uh, the dead body of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, but they're met with this angelic message, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, boys and girls, we get afraid in life. Maybe you're afraid of the dark. Maybe you're afraid sometimes of going to the doctor and, and getting a shot. And parents get afraid too. Maybe we're afraid of the future. Maybe we're afraid of the doctor's phone call. Maybe we're afraid of indwelling sin. Maybe we're afraid of temptation because we know our own weaknesses. Maybe we're afraid of a strained relationship being strained to the point of breaking. Maybe we're afraid because a relationship has been broken. And we're not sure how to go forward, or where to turn, or what to do. And maybe as we grow in age, maybe we become afraid of retirement, and the questions, what will my health be, and will there be sufficient finances? And so, from week to week, we come into the corporate worship service, and we hear, in essence, heaven itself saying to the church here on earth, do not be afraid. But I want to look very closely for a moment this morning at what the angel says exactly in verse 5. Do not be afraid. Well, well, why shouldn't they be afraid? Well, it's given right there. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. I know that you seek Jesus. And here's the point that I want to draw out for us this morning. Those who are truly seeking Jesus Christ by the exercise of faith should not be afraid. Even if that exercise of faith is imperfect. These Marys, they don't have it all figured out. They don't understand everything that has happened. They would not be able to master theology at this point. Uh, On the contrary, they're filled with doubts and fears and 
Tears are filling their eyes. If you would have saw them uh, that morning, early, early in the morning, they would have looked incredibly distraught. You might have said, well, I wonder what's gotten into those two women. They certainly seem to be out of sorts. Their emotions uh, are, are razzled. So much so that when they even meet Jesus initially, they don't recognize Him, but they mistake Him to be the gardener. And yet the angel says, do not be afraid, for I know that you are seeking Jesus. If you are seeking Jesus in the active exercise of faith, the word this morning to you is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But on the contrary, if you are not seeking Jesus Christ, then, then there is every reason to be afraid. Because if you are not seeking Jesus Christ, that means you must be seeking something else in life and everything else, the more you seek it, the more it flies away. So consider what some are seeking this morning. Wealth, health, and prosperity. If the Lord gives us those things, we count them as good gifts. But if we're seeking them as the ultimate end in life, as soon as you get them, you're afraid they're going to slip away. Maybe these words fall upon the ears of someone who's just living a narcissistic life, a hedonistic life. I'm just going to live for me, and I'm just going to live for pleasure, but you know that that's a dead-end road. You know that the life of narcissistic hedonism ends with a grave. So what do you do then? The answer is, seek the Lord Jesus Christ. The angel comes to this group of disheveled women and says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are seeking Jesus Christ. But, th but there's, of course, more. He is not here. He is risen. A and in that word, he is risen, we must understand that there is the explanation of the resurrection. The angel informs the women, uh, and by extension, uh, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And what exactly does that mean? We cannot be perfect in every minute little detail, but it means at least this, uh, that the human nature of Jesus Christ, comprised of a very real body and a very real soul, sinless of course, but very real human nature, body and soul, at the culmination of the crucifixion, when Jesus Christ said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, Jesus Christ allowed that body and soul to be disconnected in physical death so that the soul, the human soul of Jesus Christ, remaining united to the divine nature, was in heaven along with the soul of the repentant thief. But the, the body of Jesus Christ, of course, we know, was laid into the tomb by Joseph of Arimathea. And now, in the early morning hours, on the third day, including Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, in the early morning hours, the Lord Jesus Christ, by His divine nature's power, brought those two elements, those, those 
two parts, if we can call it that, of the human nature. His body in the grave and his soul in heaven. He pulled them, if I can use that word, back together and reunited them. And not only reunited them, but also glorified them above physical death, beyond physical death. And so he emerged triumphantly from the grave and from death. And that's what the angel is saying. He is risen. And away with the foolish notions that the liberals have uh, that Jesus Christ had just passed out on the cross and now in the coolness of the tomb had come back to consciousness. That's just a silly, unbelieving explanation. No, Jesus Christ really, in his human nature, died a physical death. Now, his body did not see corruption because of its being connected to the divine nature. But when we hear he is risen, Jesus Christ has reunited that which had been separated and reunited in a sense of accomplishing our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification, making an open show, uh, an open display of conquering the power of death and of the grave. And notice that the angel adds this, just as he said. And the heart of the Christian ought to, to skip a beat, if I can say that, with joy when we hear that, just as he said. And I just simply want to point out one thing this morning. Every single thing Jesus Christ ever said he will do, he will certainly do. Everything. Now, in part, this explanation is given to the women uh, to jog their memory. Jesus Christ had clearly prophesied that on the third day he would rise from the dead. But don't we also have times when perhaps we wouldn't audibly say it, but we begin to doubt what Jesus Christ has said? I can remember as a young boy, and last time I was... uh, home. I, the sign was still there, just a, a, a little, a couple miles down the road from my house. Sign's been there for 40 years. Jesus is coming soon. I remember riding on the school bus past that sign thinking, the sign's been there for five years. And when you're a kid, five years seems like an eternity. I thought, is he coming back soon? Well, perhaps the sign should be edited and say he's coming back quickly. But everything Jesus Christ has ever said he will do, he will do. Do not be afraid. You doubt whether or not Jesus Christ will build his church? He said he will build his church. You doubt whether or not Jesus Christ will forgive your sins? He said he will forgive your sins. You doubt whether or not He will guide you through this life and into eternal life. He has said he will. And so there is the explanation of the resurrection. And then notice the reaction in our third point in verses 7 through 10. And it's really a two-part reaction connected together. There is a joyful reaction and an evangelistic reaction Verse 7 is the instruction the angel to the women, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And then verse 8, so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear 
and great joy. Now, that fear is a different fear. Uh, It's a reverential fear. They had just seen great things, and they had just heard great things. But that fear was seasoned uh, with a Christian joy, with a Christian optimism. The Lord Jesus Christ, whom they had thought was dead, is alive. Boys and girls, have you ever had it? And this is a very, very faint illustration. Have you ever had a dream where you thought something bad happened? And then you wake up and you realize it's just a dream. And you have this profound sense of relief. I had a, had a dream just last night, I'll, I'll be honest. Not, I, I dreamt that my sermon notes were all mixed up. And, and then the, they were stapled together. And so I was in the pulpit and, and I couldn't get my sermon notes. They were all stapled together and all mixed up. And then I woke up and I'm oh, glad that's not the case. Now, it's just a faint analogy. But these women had come with a sense of dread that morning. They thought their Savior was dead. But now he's alive. He's alive. The worst that they had expected has not happened. And in contrast, the very best has occurred. They had come hoping to be able to anoint his dead body, but now there's no dead body to anoint because he's alive. And so a great sense of joy filled their heart. And, and, and congregation, when you read the Scriptures, and especially the New Testament, uh, there is this repeated emphasis upon joy. Not just a, a, a silly, happy, clappy type of a joy, but a profound sense of Christian exuberance and joy. And so you can hear the Apostle Paul, even near the end of his earthly life, even when he's imprisoned on account of the gospel, and he writes to the Philippians, and he gives them an exhortation. He says, rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. And so the second element in the fruit of the Spirit, following love, is joy. And I think we really ought to ask ourselves, are we characterized by this joy? That people know that we are people who have a hope and who then have a joy, an exuberance, an optimism that would even be contagious and intriguing to a world that is filled with despair. When is the last time someone stopped and asked us for the reason for the hope that is in us? When is the last time in conversation, maybe over politics, maybe over uh, the global economic, uh, economy, maybe over the supply chain issues, when is the last time someone said, but, but I notice that these things don't weigh you down as much as others. I notice that you continue to maintain uh, a certain positivity throughout all of these circumstances. What a wonderful opportunity it would be when everyone else is talking doom and gloom. If we said, yes, we recognize all of these difficulties, but we have a joy, an eternal joy, because Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. And so, yes, with a measure of sadness, we might say, I have received the phone call of the doctor, and I have a disease. And yes, a loved one passed recently. And yes, there does seem to be the increasing amount of liberalism in the churches. But Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. 
And so their joy quickly turns into evangelism. Uh, You'll notice uh, it's an internal evangelism that begins with uh, the disciples themselves. The instruction is go and tell his disciples. And so Verse 10, it's repeated when they meet Jesus Christ. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see them. Uh, and really, you'll find that, as we hope to consider in a couple weeks on, uh, on the first Sunday of May when we have a Mission Emphasis Sunday, this is really the preamble, you might say, to what we call the Great Commission. Go and tell. Well, tell what? Tell the world that Christ is risen. Explain something about his redemptive work. And yes, certainly his steps of humiliation, of his death. But tell them that Christ is risen. And and begin internally, an internal testimony one to another, to stir up our own hearts and our own spirits. And if you look around and observe You know, there are people within the church, your brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, who because of the difficulties of life and because of the challenges that they face, they need to hear an encouraging word. And perhaps you just need to come alongside of them, put your arm around them, perhaps literally or maybe more appropriately, figuratively, and say, you know, I realize you're going through a difficult way. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. And yes, tears may still fill our eyes, but we have a reason to rejoice and to have a hope. And let me now walk with you through this trial. Let me walk through you with this valley. Maybe just telling you day after day after day, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. With this heavenly explanation of an empty tomb and of a risen Lord Jesus Christ, there is reason for joy. Uh, This is the earth shattering. This is the cosmic changing event the resurrection of our lord and savior jesus christ the reason that both now and think of it for all of eternity we will with a joyful note say one to another jesus christ is indeed risen and so those who seek him have no reason to be afraid but rather every reason to rejoice and to be glad amen Our Heavenly Father, behold what great works you have accomplished, especially in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, we do confess that so often we, like little children, are so distracted by the things of uh, this world and so overwhelmed by the experiences uh, of life lived under the sun. We ask that on this Sabbath day when we rest physically but also mentally from all of our cares and all of our concerns, that you would refocus us upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us an understanding of what took place. Give us also an understanding of the significance of the event. And then, Father, we ask that we as a congregation in the midst of this community uh, might testify and might display a Christian joy, that people might know that we have been with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.